Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. First ring. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. And the World Series is over and the Texas Rangers have their first ring. And if you are live watching me on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, you will notice that I got out of Stamford, Connecticut in a hurry. And I am back in my studio was there for the postseason LCS and World Series, post game on CBS Sports HQ. Got back to the hotel about one o'clock in the morning, packed up, drove a couple hours, stayed up all night cleaning, laundry, setting up, getting ready for the show. And here I am on nary a wink, the first day of the off season. The Texas Rangers are the World Series champions in a World Series watched by very few of us, but will be enjoyed forever by many people in Texas. My hat's off. My gallon hat is off to Chris Young. I, uh, I don't mind being wrong. The Braves did not beat the Astros. That did not happen. That was my preseason pick. The Diamondbacks did not beat the Rangers. That was my World Series pick. I forgot to take into account that the Rangers lineup is a juggernaut. And they got it. They did it. Hats off to Chris Young, who did stuff as a GM that I criticized. And I was wrong. I thought it was a complete overpay of Marcus Simeon giving $500 million to two shortstops. Remember, that was the year that there were shortstops in the market. Lindor was one of them, I believe. Coca was Lindor in the same class, I believe he was. And they signed two of them, put Simeon at second base, and they formed the top of the lineup that got them a ring. Right now, they are in Arizona. They partied all night. It is five in the morning there. Their team plane will take off somewhere around 11 a.m. They will get back to Texas, celebrate, the president of the team is thinking about the parade. They're going to start designing rings, start selling ticket packages. It's amazing to win the World Series. I loved it. Thank you for following along with me during this postseason. It wasn't a terrible postseason. It started with a bunch of sweeps. MLB is despondent beyond repair, despondent that it was Diamondbacks Rangers, despondent that it only went five games. You make your money in six and seven. Hard to imagine with the start that Zach Gallen gave you yesterday. Perfect through four and a third. No hit through five, maybe. They just couldn't score. All those runners in scoring position. And Nate Evaldi, the former Marlin, beat Zach Gallen, the former Marlin. And now, a public service announcement to Mets fans. 
Peep, 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 peep. Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer have a World Series ring. Not from the Mets. This commercial brought to you by... Ha ha. Jacob DeGrom, six starts. Max Scherzer, eight starts. Jacob DeGrom, zero in the postseason. Max Scherzer, a couple in the postseason, and he stunk. And they're jumping around like they won the World Series. I'm happy for him. It's good. A.J. Burnett celebrated with us at 03, and he didn't really pitch much for us. It's good for players. I'm happy for Texas. Now, we get to move on to the offseason. And the offseason, this particular offseason, is going to be one for the ages. Every year, you always get the list of free agents, and you think this is going to be amazing. Last year, it was Aaron Judge. Remember, all of the focus. Will the Yankees sign Judge? Oh, my God, is there a sighting of him in San Francisco? Where's Carlos Correa going to go? What's Scott Boras doing? Every year, there's a different storyline. This year is the number one, number one. Shohei Otani is a free agent. Free agency starts five days after the World Series, which means on November 6th, it will be go time. Shohei Otani is going to sign a contract not on November 6th. As a matter of fact, in previous years, I've done wait to sees on when the biggest free agents will sign. And it there was a period of time where it would go into January, sometimes even into spring training. I think Bryce Harper may have been a late sign with Philadelphia. I'm having a hard time remembering. But I've got a little prediction about Shohei Otani. I have been on record, the only one, and listen, I was the only one saying the Oakland A's aren't moving. How's that going to go for me? I'm the only one saying that Shohei Otani is going to re-sign with Anaheim, Angels of Los Angeles. How's that going to go for me? When the Dodgers are desperate, Steve Cohn is pretending he's not but is. The Mariners may even do it. The Giants don't want to be bridesmaids anymore. They'd love to give Bob Melvin a Shohei Otani. Bunch of teams could sign him to an incentive-laden deal because he's not going to pitch next year at all. So the question is, Bryce Harper did sign in late February. Thank you, Coca. Welcome to the show. Are you tired? Are you tired from the postseason? You're not really tired. I think, are you the guy who reads books with the game on mute in the background? <laughs> are you just tired of the postseason period, not from the postseason? My guess is you are. So I'm going to give you a wait to see on Shohei Otani. He will not sign before the new year. And the reason he won't is that it's going to be a very complicated contract. So make it an official wait to see that Shohei Otani does not sign before December 31st. And the reason why is that they're going to have to find a way to pay him to be a pitcher, even though he's not going to be a pitcher next year. And he's going to have to get multiple opt-outs. So some team is going to sign him, going to celebrate its signing, his signing, and could lose him quickly if he somehow recovers from his second Tommy John and becomes a number one starter again. Shohei Otani will be in the news this offseason when he wins the MVP. He may win it unanimously for the second time in three years. And he should have won it three in a row. So make that the official way to see in order to make up for my Diamondbacks in seven going right down the crapper that Shohei Otani signs after December 31st. We did have the Diamondbacks over the Rangers thinking that it was going to go six games. We're now three games under 500. I stuck with the Diamondbacks and lost 
three in a row after it was tied at one. So we are now three games below 500. And now there's no more baseball picks. So now we're sticking to basketball and football. Steelers play the Titans. Will Levis is the quarterback for the Titans. We're taking the Steelers minus two and a half. And the Sixers, we are taking them over the Raptors. I'll tell you why. Because they're so happy. They're so happy that Harden's gone that they are, they may win this game by 25 points. What I want to get to early in the show is an article that came out in The Athletic yesterday. Evan Drellick and Ken Rosenthal. I think there was a third reporter as well about our favorite team, the San Diego Padres. And when I saw the article, my eyes went like Porky Pig when his eyes get really big, when you feel like, or maybe it's Wiley Coyote, or maybe it's the Roadrunner. All I know is that when anything's written about the Padres from an investigative standpoint, I am ready to pile on. I want to pile on. The story that got released yesterday says the following, that the San Diego Padres had some cash flow issues and were forced to take a $50 million loan in September in order to meet their financial obligations. And it goes on to say that they wanted to borrow $100 million, but MLB said, no, you can only borrow 50. What an opportunity for me to say that their payroll was too high. They did not have the revenue to cover the payroll. They lost a fortune. They have no idea what they're doing and their team stinks and they missed the playoffs. And my guess is they budgeted for playoff revenue, which they didn't get. They realized they weren't gonna get it and then needed to borrow money. I could say all that and I want to so badly, but it's just not the case. So all of the articles and everything that's being written and all of the nameless sources in that story. Baseball teams have something called floating lines of credit. A floating line of credit both has to do with the interest rate, but it also has to do with when you take it, you must pay it back faster then your permanent line of credit, which you borrow money from and then leave it outstanding like it's a mortgage on your house. A permanent financing is when you borrow money and use it to buy a team, borrow money and use it to build a stadium. You then have a deal. Sometimes it's a 10-year deal with the bank, a five-year deal with the bank, a 10-year deal with a 10-year option. And what you do with that permanent financing is you consistently refinance it. So let's say every five years, you have a amount of debt on your team, let's say $300 million, just for argument's sake. Every five years, it gets renewed. You have to do a whole thing where you go around and you get a syndicate. You have to do a road show where you meet with the banks, you show them your numbers, you say, look, we're doing what we said we would do. We pay our interest every month. Everything's good. We're just gonna keep that going. But then there's a revolving line of credit that's when you borrow money, but then you pay it back within 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Just consider it temporary financing. The way baseball works is that you're paying your players from April to October. So you are spending 
the majority of your money in those six months. People may mistakenly say, that's when you're getting all your revenue is April to October, and that would be wrong. Because the lion's share of season ticket revenue comes in the form of deposits and then paid in full season tickets that are paid in full prior to the season even starting. Sometimes you can pay it per month, but a lot of season ticket holders, like 70% of season ticket revenue is paid in advance. Because what you do is you give a bit of a discount. Pay in full now. You've seen it when you buy stuff. If you pay in full now, it's one price. If you pay it per month, it's another price. TV revenue can come over the course of all 12 months. The Padres budgeted to get X amount of TV revenue. Sometimes you get it over six months, but every deal that I've seen, you get paid over 12 months. But the Padres lost their TV deal and MLB did not replace the entirety of their revenue. So that is a negative variance to their budget. Their payroll was most certainly higher than what they had budgeted originally. Their season tickets were up. Their attendance was up, but we have no idea what their total gate revenue was, though sources say it was among the six or seven best in baseball. We don't know. But no matter how you slice it, there are revenue shortfalls that happen toward the end of the season. The Marlins had a revolving line of credit where we would borrow money every single September and we would pay it back every single November because November is when we would get our revenue sharing payment and a distribution from baseball's central fund. When you get that distribution, you pay off the seasonal line of credit. That's another way you can call it a seasonal line of credit. You don't pay back your permanent debt. You pay back your temporary seasonal line. For the Padres to get $50 million in September, that would be a seasonal line of credit, totally normal. Why does MLB need to approve that? Why did they not agree to the 100? MLB approves all financing done by each of its 30 teams. It doesn't approve, nor does it care what owners do using their boats, Picassos, homes, whatever they wanna use as collateral, other businesses, stock they may own, pensions, whatever they own, MLB does not get involved in approving that debt. Owners can have as much personal debt as they want. But if you are using the team as collateral, your revenue, your stadium, your franchise, MLB approves all loans using anything team related as collateral. Collateral is what you have to show in order to get a loan. When you get a mortgage, what you're showing is that you've got the cash you've, or you've got a job where your employer says you are gainfully employed by blank company and then you get approved for a mortgage back when it actually was hard to get approved. By the way, the whole housing crisis is when everyone was getting approved and they shouldn't have gotten approved because they had no way to pay the mortgage and that's why everyone went bust, but I digress. So the Padres go to MLB and they say, hey, we'd like 100 mil. 
MLB has all the Padres numbers. MLB knows what the Padres are losing. The union knows what the Padres are losing. The union has access to audited statements of the teams. So every time the union stands up and says, oh, this team's making money, this team's making money, this team's, they know exactly who's making money. Baseball looks at the numbers and says, we'll let you borrow 50, not 100, because you're gonna get a distribution of 50, and I know you'll be able to pay it back from that distribution. So a seasonal line of credit covers you from when you have money like an accounts receivable, but you have to pay like an accounts payable prior to receiving the accounts receivable. Normal, standard. I cannot criticize nor sully the Padres for doing this. Yet, the team president, head of business operations, had to do statements, the CEO. He said, we established a capital plan for 2023 with our ownership group and lender partners and are operating our business in accordance with that plan. Great. Do you know what that says? Nothing. We showed our banks a plan that showed that we were losing this amount of money, but we weren't allowed, we were not allowed to use debt financing to fund losses. The owner had to put the money in himself. Dollars are fungible. So owners find a way to borrow money using different things in your franchise's collateral, not your national money. The national broadcast deal, all the corporate sponsors like the Capital One World Series, the Loan Depot, ALCS, all the things that baseball does, all the licensing for people who are buying hats on MLB.com, all that money is split 30 ways and all of that money gets distributed to clubs, not all of the money, they hold back some for strikes, lockouts, and various things. They don't want to give it to owners because then owners will just spend it on payroll. That money is actually collateral for industry loans. It used to be called fleet. It's no longer fleet bank. But a team's capital structure is based on loans that are industry loans, where every team has access to X hundreds of millions of dollars. Your capital structure is based on that and your capital structure is based on loans that the team takes out on its own. And there's a limit to the amount of debt a team can have. It's called the debt service rule. The debt service rule was negotiated with the union, with the union not paying attention, an absolutely huge win for the management. Because what it says is you cannot have X dollars of debt more than Y. Let's just say you're not allowed to have any debt at all if you're losing money. That's really what the rule is. Of course, everyone violates the rule. MLB then yells at you. You're forced to have a meeting with the CFO of MLB, the commissioner of MLB, although he doesn't show up at the meetings. You have to say, hey, we're really sorry. We're not in compliance. We're sorry we're losing money. We're going to make money next year, we promise. Next year, you don't make money. You have the same meeting. We did this all the time. We had meetings with the commissioner's office every year, except two or three years. Because we always had debt and we were losing money. And the rule basically says that if you're losing money, you can't have debt. So what MLB said to the Padres is, you've hit your limit. All you need is 50. 
That's all you're getting. Lower your payroll. So when the team CEO says that they operate the business in accordance with the plan, yeah, I could make a plan that's absolutely ridiculous that shows we're losing a fortune. MLB does not need to or want to approve that plan, nor do banks. Which is why the Padres are going to have a new plan in 24. Which is why Juan Soto may be wearing pinstripes, but he's not going to be wearing mustard. The Padres will not be able to carry the payroll that they had this past year. They simply will not be able to withstand the losses. Their capital structure will not allow for it. God, did I want to get on the Padres more. I really did, but I couldn't. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that I just watched with Bill Burr. And then I'm going to talk about when you, what happens when you buy a team. Something happened in Ottawa. We don't talk about hockey much. But one of you asked a question on davidsampsonpodcast.com. By the way, don't forget to send pictures of the no chance toilet pants of the shirts that you're buying. Thank you for buying them. Thank you for wearing them. I love that you love them. I love getting pictures. I just got one Coke of someone in the wait to see. And horse hockey, though, is clearly the favorite. And I hope you're enjoying the hoodies that are now available on davidsampsonpodcast.com. One of you asked a question a hockey question, thinking I wouldn't answer it. But it's a fascinating question about what happens when you buy a team. We'll be right back. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson back in the home studio. And for those of you who think that I'm inconsistent, wondering, why do you do it from home? Why don't you get back to the office? Send an email to The Lebitard Show and say, hey, why isn't nothing personal in the New York studio yet? What do you think? I'm, I do like this background, though, and I do like being here. I'm still watching movies during the postseason. You can bet your bippy that I was going to watch Old Dads because I could use a laugh. Bill Burr is a very funny comedian, and Old Dads does not remind me of me, though I am a dad and I am old at the moment, but I wasn't that old. I had kids at 27, 30, and 35. So I never felt as though I was an old dad. Then we got a group rate on vasectomies. I think every member of our front office got a vasectomy at the same time, and it may have been right after the World Series because right, right post-game six pre-celebration. Some people got divorced, some people reversed their vasectomies, had more kids, and they became old dads. I did not do the latter. But this is a very funny movie. 
about, I had never seen Bill Burr, so I've not seen any of his comedy shows. And as a result of seeing Old Dads, I'm going to watch some of his specials because he's hilarious. And he directed this, he wrote this, he stars in it. And it's just a funny expose about a bunch of dads. And it's not campy, it's not, what's the word when something is, um, they make it sort of a, a caricature. I can't think of the word right now. I'm having a moment, just bear with me. I'm on zero sleep. It's not a parody, but that's not the word either. It's not so many of you will get the word to me very quickly at David P. Sampson on Twitter or however you find me, because for whatever reason, Coke, I forgot to even tell you this. When I couldn't think of a word last week, I immediately got a bunch of people telling me what I was thinking, which makes me so happy that the audience we're, we have such this great relationship that you're inside my brain, which probably is not the place you want to be. But this movie is not a blank of old dads, a caricature. That may not be the word. It's just a quality movie. Not like Oscar movie. It's just funny. So enjoy it. Old dads. All right, I want to get to this story. I'm not going to read you the whole question here, but it started with hi, David. So that's nice. It wasn't as so you want to talk to Samson because that may come later in the show. But the question was about the Ottawa Senators, and I wanna just tell you what happened. The Ottawa Senators fired their GM yesterday, but he got to say he resigned, but he didn't resign. He said he resigned, but then the owner said he was fired, and of course he was fired, because no one in the front office resigns in the middle of a season. And the reason why the owner fired the GM is there were a few issues and he's the new owner, the guy who spent 950 million bucks on the Ottawa Senators, buying it from the uh, Eugene Melnick, the late Eugene Melnick's kids. That's the deal that Gary Bettman couldn't approve fast enough because the valuation of his teams were finally approaching baseball, which made him so happy. He was whistling Dixie out of his tuchus, so he approved this deal. So this guy buys the Senators. His name is Michael Andlauer. And apparently, there were two things going on with the Ottawa Senators. There was an investigation into a trade that was done with a player and an issue with a no-trade clause in a player contract. Should I digress and do my Graham Lloyd no-trade clause story? Coco, do you want to hear that? Do people want to hear that? Here's the quick rule of a no-trade clause. Don't give them. The only one uh, I ever gave was to Stanton and Graham Lloyd had a, some sort of clause. It couldn't have been from us though. Cause when we signed him to a three year, $9 million deal in 2000, I don't believe we gave him a no trade clause or if we did, no, I really don't think we did. Now I'm wondering whether it was Graham Lloyd. It doesn't matter who it was. Here's the quick story. When you have a limited no trade clause, what it means is the player's allowed to give you a list of teams that you can't trade the player to. The player we had got traded to a team the player did not want to go to. And the player said to us, you can't trade me there. And we said, yes, we can. And the player said, no, you can't. I have a limited no trade clause and this team is on it. And we said, you never submitted the list. And he said, what do you mean? And the agent never submitted the list. He fired the agent, there was a grievance, I testified in the grievance, and here's what the result was. It ain't my job to call a player and say, hey, where's your list? 
if you don't submit the list and take advantage of the fact that you have a limited no trays, NMP, not my problem. So there was an issue with the senators with the no trade and with the player and with whatever. That was one issue. Another issue is that there was an investigation that the NHL was doing. And what this new owner is claiming is that he didn't know about any of the investigations that were taking place by the NHL about the senators and that he doesn't want to pay a fine that was levied because why should he pay it when he had no idea about it and it wasn't on his watch. And he said, from the seller's perspective, it was a non-issue. The owner is wondering, why does he have to pay for something that didn't happen on his watch? And then he said, the commissioner had a lot of time to deliberate on it and think about it. Why I inherited this is beyond me. This is a guy who just spent $950 million on a team. And he said, why I inherited this is beyond me. Why would it be beyond you? Did you read the purchase agreement? Did you read the reps and warranties? Did you assume all liabilities of the franchise? Just like you assumed all assets. Were there excluded liabilities? Is it possible that the seller of the franchise fraudulently did not disclose something in discovery, in due diligence? Is it possible that you didn't have strong enough reps and warranties where the seller said, hey, as is, good luck. Have you ever bought something as is? Like buying a house or a car and the seller just says, hey, here it is. You want it, it's yours. If it breaks down on the way out of the driveway, not my problem. Or you can sign a contract which says I'll buy your car, but if it breaks down in the first month, I get $1,000. I'll buy your house, but if it has termites that are discovered within 30 days, I get $10,000. Or the contract can say, I am representing that everything's good with the house. And if it's not good, the maximum you can get is $150. That's a clause that can be in a contract. Contracts are signed by two parties. When you sign something, you may want to read it. The fact that this owner is saying that he doesn't understand why he inherited these potential liabilities. I, I can't, I can't even believe it. I hope he runs the team better than Melnick did. And I certainly hope that this is not indicative of his ability to run a business. Yesterday, as we were going to pregame, on CBS Sports HQ, there was breaking news that Bob Knight died. Bobby Knight was the coach of Indiana, you may remember. If you're, do young people, Coca, know who Bob Knight is? He coached Army, Texas Tech, and Indiana. He won those championships in Indiana, like three national championships. 902 wins, he's like sixth all time. When he retired, he was number one. He's the guy with the temper, anger management problem. He would have done very well with Jack Nicholson. He died yesterday, and I wanted to point out a thing that really struck me about all of the 
obituaries, all of the voiceovers that were done, all of the media people who were talking and writing about Bob Knight. And it seems as though that he was judged by many of his worst moments. I don't know Bob Knight, so I have no horse in this race. What I do know is that there's video of him throwing a chair across the court. There's video of him being physical with players. There's video of him doing things that today coaches can't do. They'd be fired immediately. What was that football coach that tapped a guy in the head, Bruce Arians, and everyone lost their minds? Abuse, abuse, abuse. Bob Knight would never have a job today. But yesterday was different than today. And I wonder, as I've told you before, when people die, I say things like, hey, this is an obit moment. When stadium opens, that's an obit moment. When you win a World Series, that's an obit moment. An obit moment is something that will appear in your obituary when that time comes. David Sampson, comma, 185 years old, died yesterday of complications of a broken heart. David Sampson in 2003 was the president of a Major League Baseball team. That type of thing. Would you really want the worst part about you to be what's in your obituary? And what are the things that you do that no matter what will be part of your legacy? Lawsuits you're involved in, arrests maybe, if you're arrested, if you're a felon, if you're a Ponzi schemer, if you're responsible for a team moving, relocating, what's the limit? If you're a bad dad, does that go in there? David Sampson, known to many as a bad father, died of complications of a hangnail at 120. I just felt that it was wrong. All of the articles and all the things about how he was this polarizing character and how he was a man of his time, but a great coach, like comma, but a great coach, like as an afterthought. It bothered me, but rest in peace. All right, Coca. Actually, I want to. I want to. If you don't mind, can we do Inter Miami first before we do the? So you want to talk to Samson? I want to do Inter Miami. Inter Miami, Messi's soccer team. They were supposed to be on a plane right now, going to China. MLS playoffs are happening at CBS. There was multiple screens during the World Series last night. Was uh, Game One of Columbus and Atlanta and they play best of three, and I believe Columbus won 2-0 in the first match. Did you like how I said 2-0, like I know what I'm talking about? Inter-Miami is not in the playoffs. Messi won his won the Ballon, Ballon d'Or, best soccer player in the world. And Jorge Mas, the owner of Inter-Miami, is trying to capitalize and monetize having Leo Messi on his team. One of the ways to do that is to go to play international friendlies. They were invited and had a deal to play international friendlies in China. Not quite Saudi Arabia, not too far, not too far stretch from it though. And of course we know Messi's view because he is a spokesperson for Saudi Arabia, a stumper for Saudi Arabia, along with Ronaldo, except he didn't go as far as Ronaldo because Ronaldo actually plays there. So it's not surprising that Inter Miami would want to do a deal with China because there are promoters in China. The way it works is 
promoters pay your team all of your expenses to fly on a private big jet to China to stay in five-star accommodations, have as much food as you want, and then you get on top of that millions of dollars. Appearance fees is a way to look at it. We would love getting paid appearance fees as the Marlins when we'd play our minor league teams, when we would do exhibition games, but we also had to pay sometimes. When the Yankees opened their our stadium in 2012, we had to pay the Yankees to play those exhibition games. So teams make money by making appearances, by playing exhibition games. So Inter-Miami is about to have one of these tours trying to build their business in China, whatever. And it got canceled last minute. And the promoter said, and this is a good one, the reason why it got canceled, the tour promoter cited the recent death of a former Chinese premier, like the number two guy in China. Maybe it's the equivalent of the VP dying. If God forbid the VP died currently, or any VP, doesn't matter, the VP under Trump, the VP under Biden, I don't care, the VP under Nixon. If the VP dies, it wouldn't be ideal. There'd be mourning, there'd be moments of silence, but they wouldn't shut down the sports season. They wouldn't cancel concert tours. What would be a reason that the promoter in China would cancel Inter-Miami's tour? Well, there's a contract that gets signed and it's very likely that there was something called a force majeure clause. A force majeure clause is an out that someone who's paying an amount of money to someone to come gets to say, hey, there's a act of God that happened and I cannot fulfill my part of the contract. You try to find an act of God if you're not selling tickets well enough. You try to find an act of God if you have any sort of issue with the expected revenue you're gonna get that you were gonna use to pay whoever it is that is coming to make the appearance for you. In China, it's hard to know exactly what happened, but can you not picture a scene where they weren't selling enough tickets? The two game exhibition was gonna be a money loser. And the promoter said, I changed my mind. I can imagine that scenario. And Inter-Miami would say, but wait a minute, pay us our money. And the promoter would say, I'm not paying you your money. We can't have the games, the VP died. What about the other way? What if Messi was promised by Jorge Mas to actually play or to make X number of appearances in China? Basically being pimped out. We do that with players all the time. That's why part of the collective bargaining agreement has a minimum number of appearances for each player that they have to make because we then monetize those appearances. We don't give players extra money. If they do appearances above that, we give them some money and they can choose yes or no. But there's certain appearances that they just do. When Messi signed his deal, I promise you there were provisions in the contract for A, whether he had to do international friendlies, B, if he did have to do them, what he was gonna get paid, having nothing to do with what the other players would get paid, and C, giving him an out if he didn't wanna go, or if he's hurt, or whatever the case may be. 
So this is an example where either one of the two sides could have canceled this China tour. And the best they came up with was a promoter saying that someone died. But the truth is likely that either the sales were down or that Messi was not going to do or couldn't do what the promoter needed him or wanted him to do. So Inter Miami is now back in Miami. They're practicing for a couple of weeks before they break for a month, before training camp starts in January for the new season. Is that right, Coca? That MLS training camp is in January and they're still doing playoffs now in October? That is not a very long off season for playoff teams. But in any case, Jorge Mas, when he did the deal with Messi, clearly expected to monetize Messi, which means they're going to have to find other exhibitions to play in. They're gonna to have to find other sources of revenue. I'm gonna give you a second wait to see today. Wait to see when we tell you something's gonna happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I like this one and I like our chances. Before all is said and done, and Messi is no longer playing, Inter Miami will most certainly plan and execute another international friendly. It is a guarantee. It is way too much money for the owners of Inter Miami to pass up. Way too much. Wait to see, Inter Miami and Messi will plan another international friendly. Okay, Coca. We have five minutes left and I wanna cover this topic and it comes with a little music. You know what I want? <laughs> I wanna talk to Samson. So you wanna talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter at David P. Samson and ask me a question. Hello, David. Hello. I live in Atlanta. We actually have, what was the latest, what were the latest numbers? Something like 3% uh, of people in Georgia. Thank you. I live in Atlanta. I just read that someone filed the lawsuit against the Braves and Jorge Soler for damages because of a foul ball. Can you explain how much money is at stake and who would have to pay? Well, yes, I can. Let me give you the background. When you buy a ticket to a game, there's something called assumption of risk. You are assuming that something bad may happen to you. Now, of course, we put signs, beware of foul balls. We used to put signs, beware of bats, but now they put nets up, so the bats don't really get into the stands too often. There's nets above the dugout, so screaming line drives that pop you in the face, that doesn't ha happen too often. We tell our players, please, do not throw the balls in the stands. And the reason we tell them that is that, A, we don't wanna waste balls, B, we don't wanna hit anybody and then risk a lawsuit. And that's exactly what happened in this case. There is a woman who was at the game and got hit by a ball, not a batted ball, a thrown ball, not during the course of action, but in between innings after warmups when they throw the ball into the stands or at the end of an inning when they catch the third out. Threw it in the stands, apparently overhand with great velocity and hit a woman in the face. And apparently she has a black eye, etc. They are suing the Braves and Soler. They want punitive damages. They're suing for negligence. And one of the things that our great legal system allows you to sue for is loss of relationship, physical relationship. Apparently, she was hit in the face, had a black eye, and was so upset about it that she wouldn't have sex with her husband. So her husband is suing the Braves saying, my wife won't have sex with me. 
here's the amount of money he's going to win for that. Zero. We got sued plenty of times and we would just do a very simple math equation. How much will it cost to defend the litigation? And then we will settle for less than that amount. Sometimes on principle alone, we would go all the way, but most times we're gonna settle. But we always had pictures because we're recording everything going on in the ballpark. So if there's a person on their phone during the game and they get hit with a foul ball, you're not gonna get a big settlement. If Solaire did throw the ball into the stands and she did get hit in the face with it, and it did give her an eye fracture, an orbital fracture, and it made her have a bad relationship with her husband, here's the amount of money Solaire's gonna have to pay. Zero. There will not be a trial in this case. There will not be a finding of negligence. There will not be a finding of loss of relationship, punitive damages. The reason why there won't be any of that is the Braves are going to settle. And the reason the Braves are going to settle is that the juice is simply not worth the squeeze in this case. And what the woman does and the man, the couple to get money is they hire a lawyer because that's what you do. So they hire Saul because you better call him. He fills out this lawsuit, which is absolute horse hockey. And the reason I say it's horse hockey is that you shouldn't be too surprised when you're at a baseball game that you have the opportunity to have a ball come to you. But more importantly, what exactly is that worth? The claim that it interrupted your life. A grand, five grand maybe. In a case where I'm a softy, 10 grand. And more often than not, zero pennies. And when I read this lawsuit, the reason why she named, they named the Braves is they've got deep pockets, public company. The reason why they named the players because the player has a contract with the Marlins. He's getting paid, let's say 13 million a year. So their thought is they're gonna get a fortune. When practically speaking, the lawsuit will disappear and the Braves will not collect anything from Solaire they will simply pay a pittance and there will be a full release from any further liability related to this foul ball, batted ball, thrown ball during the course of a game in between innings, pre-game or post-game. Standard operating procedure. Why would you ever settle a case like this and give in to this frivolousness it's just business. Enjoy your $1,000. It's nothing personal.